Welcome to Christian Medical and Dental Association's Chapel. We trust this message will encourage your walk with the Lord. Thanks very much, Mike, for your warm welcome and to all of you. It's just a pleasure to be here. This is my third visit to, to Bristol, and uh, it's just been amazing to hear what God is doing in and through all of you and uh, all that's happened in the last four years since I was last here as well. So I've made some bad decisions in my life, but one of the best decisions I made was to marry my best friend's sister, who I, I, I met when I was at uh, secondary school. Uh, this is our little family, so we have three grown-up boys, and uh, Kirsty and I, and we have two uh, daughters-in-law. One is German, and the other one is American from Massachusetts, Michigan. And we've got two uh, grandchildren at the moment, and our third grandchild, a little girl, was due five days ago. So we're all <laughs> waiting to see uh, and looking forward to her arrival, which will make the boy-girl score five all. So uh, I don't have a picture of all of us in the same place because we haven't been in the same place for uh, at least 18 months or so. But um, I have one son in England, one in Wales, married with two kids, and the other one is in... Vancouver with his wife at Regent College doing a Master's of Theology, but about to relocate to Chicago next year, so we'll have truly American roots there. So we trained at Auckland University, the biggest city in New Zealand, uh, and I went on and did general surgery. My wife did pediatrics. Uh, we, we felt the call to mission very early. It was put to us, if you're not called to stay, you should go, because that's where the need is. And don't be don't be uh, prepared to go, but planning to stay, plan to go. And so we took uh, that advice, and my wife uh, got there first. She did her medical elective in her final year at medical school in a little hospital in Nepal, in the, in the highlands there. That was a real taste of mission. And once I'd finished my surgical training, we went off and served just for a year in Kapsawa Hospital in Kenya. That's, you will have heard of Kajabi, probably that Kapsawa is the little brother of Kajabi. We had a wonderful time there with our two small kids. And then we went on from there to All Nations Christian College in the UK where there were 140 students from uh, 30 different countries uh, around the world, all of them training for a cross-cultural mission. And it was an amazing time to be there when the Berlin Wall was coming down in 89 to 91 and people we're seeing how the Holy Spirit was opening up doors to places we never thought imaginable at that time. And I, I then went through a, a rather traumatic experience because God called me out of clinical medicine, uh, despite my strong resistance, into full-time ministry with the Christian Medical Fellowship, the CMDA of the UK. And so I served, as Mike said, for eight years as head of student ministries there and then as CEO for another 19. And during that time, I got involved in the ICMDA. Our, our kids have, have uh, been following us into ministry and mission. Uh, this is the, the chap in blue in the back, in the foreground there is my middle son. And uh, again, he made a very good decision when he came to a junior doctor's conference at CMF where my wife and I were both present. And he noticed a certain young lady across uh, the dinner table and asked himself, I wonder if she's as beautiful inside as she is outside and so he summoned up courage and at the time of the the, the uh, conference photograph 
he saw his opportunity and went out and stood beside her. And then, of course, after the, the photo was taken, he turned around and, and said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Ben Saunders, uh, how are you? And, and, and then the first question he asked her was, uh, did you go overseas for your elective? She said, yes, I went to Africa. He said, would you consider going back there? And she said, yes, but not alone. And uh, I could tell you the rest of that story, but it wasn't long before <laughs> they were together. And actually, out in Africa, they worked short-term at Elwa Hospital in Liberia and uh, are now back doing further training in, in Wales. So God called me out of uh, Christian Medical Fellowship into the international CMDA, the ICMDA, uh, just uh, almost five years ago. And uh, ICMDA brings together all the CMDAs around the world and our vision as a Christian witness through doctors and dentists in every community and in every nation. I'll just tell you a bit about ICMDA uh, first. So our inspiration, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I noticed as I came in here today that the verse above the, the fireplace outside is Luke 9-2, where the Lord sent his disciples out to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. So those two things were always together right from the very first century. Uh, that's our inspiration, and our, uh, our emblem is the, the cross and the laver, the cross on which Jesus died for our sins, the, the bowl with which he washed his disciples' feet, and that is our inspiration. So our vision, Christian witness through doctors and dentists in every community and every nation, but our mission is, is focusing on starting and strengthening CMDAs around the world. So where they don't exist, we seek to start them. Where they do we seek to strengthen them or encourage the stronger ones to help strengthen the weaker ones. So our focus is very much on the training and mentoring and developing of leaders and particularly young leaders because if you get the leadership right, then the national movements will follow. And ICMDA has grown really exponentially. We were founded 60 years ago this year in, in, Rot in Amsterdam in, in the Netherlands with a conference where uh, six movements came together, including... CMDA US and CMF UK, and uh, we're now uh, up to uh, 107 national movements. We, we welcomed 23 new movements in at our last World Congress, which had joined over the last five years this year in, in Tanzania. And so we're, we're thinking, well, there are 194 countries in the world. There's still a little way to go, but uh, the pace is increasing. So every country that's green has an affiliated CMDA that belongs to ICMDA. The orange countries have national movements that we're working with that are moving towards affiliation. The blue countries, we have individual contacts and small groups. And the gray countries, we're praising, praying that God will raise people up. So it's a very dynamic situation. There are 6,500 languages in the world. We operate in in seven main ones because every doctor or dentist will speak one of those seven main languages that are shown there. The orange is, is English, but uh, you can also pick out French, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, and uh, Arabic and Chinese there as well. And we divide the world up into 14 regions, and uh, each of these has a team that uh, serves it. You can see that you are in the North American region, just with Canada. And we're governed by a board of 15, very international. You'll recognize perhaps this gentleman here. You might recognize this guy who is uh, on, on the board. 
and we've uh, just had a Canadian uh, dentist as chairman who's just passed on to an Indian uh, uh, healthcare manager, uh, medically qualified as well, uh, Elma Tavijay, who, who lead us. And then uh, we have 69 uh, field workers. They're all doctors and dentists. They all work full or part-time in medicine. They raise their own support. We pay their expenses and travel, and they're organized across 14 regions, 13 regional secretaries, and uh, an amazing group of people. Uh, I could talk uh, uh, for many hours on each, each one, but just one example here. Noel grew up in India, uh, went to Russia, trained, did his medical training there, did his postgraduate training in the UK, speaks a couple of Indian languages, Russian and English fluently, and he's the leader of our Eurasia region, which is the former Soviet Union. And, and many of our, our field workers are people who speak you know, up to seven or eight languages. They can cross cultures, they're good at forming bonds, uh, getting to know people, inspiring them with a vision. We've just had our 17th World Congress. We have one every four years. That was in uh, Tanzania, in Arusha, uh, the tourist capital there, and almost 1,000 people from 106 countries. And I know a number of you were uh, there at that uh, amazing event. Uh, just a few little snapshots just to give you an idea of some of the things that are happening. You might think that these are tongues of fire, but I tell you it's just a trick of the light. <laughs> but this picture was taken in, in Albania. The guy in the middle, uh, Edwin, is an uh, orthopedic surgeon. He was the first Christian doctor in uh, in Albania after the end of communism. I met him in 1996. He's, his wife is now the president of the CMDA there, which is 120 strong. All of them are first-generation believers. So, uh, because Albania was an atheist state, and the, the uh, demagogue who ruled it, who said that Albania would not be free until the last Christian priest was hanged with the guts of the last Muslim mullah, and he nearly achieved that. But God had other plans. Missionaries came in. People were one to Christ. One of the first guys was the guy on the left, uh, Zef, who was a pastor and also the president of the uh, IVCF there, the IFES movement among students, and works very closely with the, the CMDA. But God is very much at work in, in that country where, you know, when I was a student, Albania was the most closed Christian country in the world, uh, most closed country in the world. There were no Christian believers at all. It's now a growing and thriving church with a mission vision. Uh, Hungary, just later this year, I was there a few weeks ago. Um, you can see on the right, there's a picture of a minaret, a uh, Muslim minaret, but you, if you look on the top of it, there's a cross, and that's because Hungary was occupied by the Muslims, but uh, taken back uh, by Christians. There's, of course, a thriving church there. It's far more Christian country now than the UK is, and we had uh, a wonderful time there at the National Conference just recently. picture at the top is uh, the Western European uh, Young Leaders Conference, which was combined with the Portuguese CMDA uh, National Conference just recently. You see a beautiful setting there. And uh, at the bottom, uh, this was a, a saline training, a saline process training that's just been completed in Fiji, uh, people uh, with two of our field workers. So in the, in the Pacific, 
I've just come back from a trip to India and Nepal. Up above is the distance learning team at the Christian Medical College of Valor, one of the most amazing tertiary hospitals in the whole uh, world, really. The alumni are all over the world. It was founded by one American woman, Christian doctor, who went there to set up a nursing school which became a, a woman's uh, medical school which then eventually invited male students as well and now is a huge tertiary referral uh, centre uh, producing uh, missionaries for all over the world. We run a, a diploma of family medicine in partnership with, with them. And then down, down the bottom is, is uh, I went from there to the South Asia Leaders Conference in N Nepal, my first visit to the place that my wife had gone to escape me just before we got married. And uh, it was wonderful to be there. We had, we had 40 people from uh, six different countries, including the country of Bhutan, which is one of the most closed countries in the world where God is very much working uh, as well. And again, when I was a student, when my wife was there, there were a dozen mission hospitals in the country. There were a couple of dozen Christians. The only pastors were in prison. There is now a church that is hundreds of thousands strong in just the last few decades, and a CMDA with over 200 members uh, and a real missionary vision. So God is doing amazing things all around the world. And of course, we know, because Jesus promised, didn't he, that the gospel would be preached in every nation and then the end would come. And, and we're seeing the growth of his kingdom uh, all over the world. And so this is the wonderful Lord and Savior who we follow, who, although he was in very nature God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, took the form of a servant, and was made in human likeness. And then, as we know, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Uh, this beautiful picture we get in Philippians 2. But of course, it begins with the words, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. So as, as, uh, as Christian believers, he's not just our Savior, but he is our Lord as well, calling us to follow in his footsteps and to have the great privilege of being participants in the mission that he's doing, that his great commission, being witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. That's where we get our vision from, witnesses in every community and every nation, or Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations. But then in John 20, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Uh, we are his hands, his feet, his mouth, his, his, uh, his agents, his body on this earth charged with his commission. And as we we're reminded, he sent his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, I was in Israel a couple of years ago, and I had to see this place. This was the first century uh, synagogue uh, in the middle of Nazareth, where almost certainly Jesus opened the book of Isaiah and uh, read from the prophet Isaiah before they nearly threw him off a cliff in Nazareth, which is just outside there. Uh, I don't, it, it probably looked pretty much like this. I, I think the plastic chairs were probably not there when he was speaking, but you can see it's a very small place, and there were probably only about 30 people there at that, and this is where it all started. You remember once he was rejected there. He went off to Capernaum, off to Galilee, and began his ministry in earnest. And he opened the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he read these amazing words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Uh, and there he's laying out his manifesto. This is what I'm going to do, uh, Jesus says. And, uh, and he's, remember, he finished off with the words today, these words are fulfilled in your healing, in your hearing. And the Jews who were there did not like that because they could see that it was an implicit claim to divinity. And what's interesting is that Jesus, when he, when he read these verses from Isaiah, stopped in the middle of a verse because uh, it says, to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, uh, Jesus apparently did not say the last words. And uh, commentators say this is probably why everyone in the, in the uh, synagogue was looking at him because they knew what came next. But he stopped at that point and said, today these words are fulfilled in your healing, hearing. And uh, the Jews failed to understand, uh, first of all, God's mercy in delaying judgment because there were many people still to come into the kingdom. God's grace in giving salvation far wider than the Jews and the scope of God's plan to all nations. And here we are 2,000 years later still seeing the working out of this plan as uh, it, it moves on. But uh, what the Jews didn't understand, that which Jesus, they, they thought the Messiah would come as their saviour, uh, probably politically against the Romans, and the judge of all their enemies in an instant of time, salvation, judgment, bang, uh, and, and there it is. And they didn't understand that actually in God's plan that the day of salvation and the day of judgment would be separated because of God's mercy and the scope of his plan. And we're living out the reality of that now. So I, I think in this, in this uh, Nazareth manifesto, we see these four priorities in Jesus' ministry. The preaching, good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, deliverance to proclaim relief for the prisoners, and justice to release the oppressed. It was a, a, a quote about the Jubilee year when uh, goods were redistributed and slaves were freed, and so on. So first of all, preaching was his first and preeminent priority. He, he goes off after that to preach in other towns. Why? Because that is why I was sent. And uh, this uh, rather strange-looking old gentleman and these old clothes here is a, a guy called Smith Wigglesworth who had uh, an extraordinary healing ministry about the turn of the beginning of the 20th century. And he famously said, I would rather see one soul saved than 10,000 healed. And that was extraordinary coming from someone like him. And uh, important and a wonderful gift, though medicine and dentistry are, we, we have to start by reminding ourselves of the fact that Jesus did not come, first of all, to empty the hospitals. He came to empty the graveyards. And that was his first priority. And it should be ours as well. And there is still a huge need. We know about the 1040 window between 10 and 40 degrees north of the equator where most of the unreached people in the world meet. And uh, if you take a chain of coins, one for every Muslim alone, just think, think about the Muslims that would lead all the way from, from London, uh, where we live just north of at the moment, all the way across the whole of Europe and the former Soviet Union and uh, the Bering Strait and into Alaska, and it would stop at around Anchorage. That's how many 
Muslims there are who are unreached. And until just a few years ago, the, the, the chain of pennies representing uh, uh, missionaries working amongst Muslims wouldn't have gone from here to the front door of this, uh, of this building. And so there's still a huge task to be done. But actually, uh, doctors and dentists and other health professionals have an open door to go pretty much anywhere in, in the world because our qualifications are a, a passport. We've got the access, the skills, the resources, uh, and the medical schools, the dental schools, the hospitals of this world are a gateway to many of the world's unreached people. I've just told you about Nepal, and it was mission hospitals that opened up the, uh, that country, a closed Hindu kingdom to the gospel in the last few decades. And so a lot of what we do is, is training in, in helping uh, doctors and dentists to be able to, to share their faith with patients through, uh, through packages like the Saline Partnership, which started here in, in uh, CMDA, one of your great gifts to the world of ICMDA, uh, the uh, Confident Christianity, Evangelism and Apologetics thing. So, so we're, we're aiming to train people. And then the second priority was healing, recovery of sight for the blind. But uh, he's quoting there from Isaiah 35. If you go back there, you see it talks about the deaf and the and the lame and the mute tongues and so on. It's a beautiful picture of the healing of the, of the whole body. And we live at a time when medical needs are still extraordinary. And one of the greatest needs is for uh, primary healthcare doctors, family medicine doctors, what we call general practitioners in the UK. 50% of the world's people still lack access to essential health services, but stunningly, 80 to 90% of people's health needs in their lifetime can be met by primary health care, and yet most countries in the world do not have any postgraduate training in family practice, uh, which is why one of our big priorities is, is to train them. We have a two-year diploma course. We've got 140 students at the moment uh, from 40 countries going through that two-year distance learning uh, diploma course. And then... Uh, you have to forgive me uh, with Mike here and with me here, you, you, you will be reminded about the importance of surgery and the, the fact that 11% of the global burden of disease could be treated by surgery and yet 5 billion people lack access to it. Uh, people dying from injuries, lives lost or bankrupted by the need for surgery for which they can't pay. And uh, one of the, the great initiatives that's happening at the moment is, is that of PACS, the Pan-African College of Christian, or pa Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons. Yet another thing that started here is a commission of CMDA from the vision of people here. And uh, now they've, they've trained uh, almost 150 surgeons in Africa. They've got another 150 coming through. They're working out of uh, 22 different countries. And all of these people are still working in Africa. Absolutely astounding and making an incredible difference. And uh, it, it all started with one uh, faithful surgeon going to the country of Gabon in Francophone Africa and uh, realizing he couldn't do it all and that he had to train people. And, and God uh, did amazing things through David Thompson and those who follow. And then uh, Jesus talks about proclaiming freedom to the prisoners Deliverance, of course, there are people behind physical bars with great needs, but there are also many people behind psychological or spiritual bars who are the slaves of 
uh, addictions, whether it's uh, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, whether it's process addictions like pornography, uh, people are in prison, Jesus freed them. He asks us to be at the front door as well. And then finally, justice to release the oppressed. And uh, all the way through the Old Testament, of course, we, have, we see God's heart for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the, the, um, the, the foreigner, the, the dispossessed, the marginalized, those who can be easily exploited and abused by others. Uh, and uh, we see this God, the heart of the God of justice. And it's not enough uh, simply to, to be there uh, to, to be, if you like, pulling people out of the river, you have to wander up the banks and see who's pushing them in and ask those questions. And it's important, so important for the church to be a voice for the voiceless, for those who have no voice and to speak up for them and to seek, as you're doing here very much at CMDA, to make sure that, that laws which protect the vulnerable and the marginalized and the easily exploited are on the statute books to protect them. And uh, who are the oppressed? Well, there's the poor, of course, um, the unborn. Uh, 43 million babies die at the hands of health professionals every year. Absolutely tragic. The dependent elderly, demented, refugees, asylum seekers, the victims of human trafficking. We can think of many categories of those who have no voice uh, for whom doctors and dentists and organizations like CMDA can be a voice. And as Esther says to Mordecai, if you're in a position of power and influence where you can speak truth to power and you remain silent, then that is a great uh, tragedy and help will arise from another quarter. One of my great heroes is William Wilberforce, uh, who uh, sought uh, successfully to make the slave trade illegal in the UK. Uh, back in 1807, and then in the very year that he died, slavery itself was made illegal in 1833. And of course, it was just uh, another 30 or 40 years later that you went through a similar process in the US. And we look back now with horror at the slave trade, but it took, it took one man who was prepared to get into a position of influence and work uh, through, through that. And so... Uh, the story of healthcare mission, the story of God doing things uh, th over the last 20 centuries is one of uh, extraordinary, or, or, or we should perhaps say very ordinary individuals who believed in an extraordinary God who, whose strength is made perfect in weakness and who were prepared to step out in faith and do little things uh, not aware that God was going to do imaginably more than ever they could ask or imagine uh, in time through their small steps of obedience. And I think it's an encouragement to every single one of us, wherever we are, that the little things we do, that the good works that God prepares for us each day, that he's written in his book before the foundation of the world, are so important because we have no idea what God is, is doing. And this is just one story, Matty Ingold American doctor, she goes to South Korea, uh, starts a clinic for women in 1898. I visited there a couple of years ago. It's now there's this, then there was a 30-bed hospital, then there was a rebuilt 40-bed hospital, and that, then there was 250, and now it's 540. Now they're, they're training missionaries for all over the world. Um, uh, the, the chapel service there, I mean, this, it's wonderful to see all you people, but you go to chapel 
at this hospital, there's 300 people there, uh, all Christian believers, and, and a hospital of real excellence. 50 dialysis machines, I tell you, you know, uh, and a real tertiary center of influence. Why? Because insignificant individuals with a great God made small steps of obedience, and God did extraordinary things uh, through them. This young lady is one of my heroes, one of Jean Rudd's as, as well, I believe, but she was an American nurse, just a young lady. Um, she went to Korea in obedience to Christ long before Korea became Christian, and she lived uh, just a few days before she died of some infectious disease. And uh, she wrote in her diary these words, if I had a thousand lives to give, Korea should have them all. She wrote before she went. And uh, if you go to Seoul, the capital of South Korea now, you, you go to the, uh, the Yanggawajin uh, Foreigners Cemetery there, you'll see 145 graves of missionaries. These are people from the US, from Britain, from Canada, from Australia, New Zealand, all over the world, who went there uh, largely in the late 19th and early 20th century in obedience to Christ. And they are honored because they are the ones who established the schools, the universities, the hospitals, the businesses, and who built uh, South Korea. And when the revival came in 1907 and more and more became converted, we now have 150 years down the road, one of the greatest sending nations in the world, uh, you know, coming, uh, uh, beginning to come alongside the US in terms of their vision and their sending of people around the world. And, and uh, she was one of these, and, and she didn't achieve much in her lifetime in human terms, but uh, this young lady, Ruby Kendrick, has inspired uh, hundreds, thousands of young people in Korea who say that if Ruby and others were prepared to come here to do this for us, we should be prepared to go anywhere in the world to take the gospel of transformation to them uh, as, as well. Okay. And, and perhaps it's no... Uh, it's no uh, mistake, at least in God's planning, that our next World Congress is in South Korea. It's in Jeju Island, just off the southwest coast of that country. And we're, we're hoping for over a 1,000 people to come. Uh, we had, of the 1,000 who came to, uh, to Tanzania this year, to our 17th World Congress, this is our 18th one, 400 of them came on bursaries and scholarships. And... Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry, okay. Anyway, it's a beautiful picture of a conference center in South Korea on Jeju Island, an extinct volcano off the south coast. Am I painting a picture for you? And, uh, and this is where our next World Congress is. So we, we hope that you know, many people from CMDA US will come. And uh, the gifts of people from CMDA US enabled many of those 400 leaders from resource-poor countries to come to the, the last one. And uh, the thing about Jeju is you can fly there directly. You don't have to go through the capital. 180 countries have visa-free access, including mainland China, and we're really praying that God will 
use this event uh, to be able to further build his kingdom. So thank you. I've probably overstayed my welcome, Mike, but um, it's a pleasure to be here and to, to share with you. Thanks.